Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. There's a little bit of Anna in all of us. Everyone lies a little bit, whether it's on a resume or sales pitch or on social media. We think the world has changed with social media. Every person has become a brand, an image fed out into the world, a lie. But what was true for Anna was true for Sinatra. Sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it. Back to Frosters, everyone. I'm Cena Gaznavi at Cena Now on all social media. Be sure to hit us up on our community text line, 412-285-1255. Hit us up on Discord. Links in the bio. You can always DM us, uh, Frosters LPN on social, FrostersLPN at gmail.com. Justin Williams is here at Justin Williams Comedy on Instagram. He's posted thirst trap photos of his dinners and club outings. Justin, how are you? I'm good, Cena. It's just so good to be back. Yeah, come follow me on Instagram. I got a lot of weird content I'm putting out there, and none of it's really catching on, so I need you to retweet it. <laughs> you don't retweet on Instagram, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we're going to continue our Inventing Anna exploration here, because frankly, we can't pass up an opportunity when last season we interview Anna's lawyer, and then this season we had the opportunity to interview Anna's lawyer again, but on the show, Inventing Anna. Some of you may know Arian Moyad from Succession, where he plays Stewie Hosseini, the most honest venture capitalist you could imagine, but he's also Todd Spodek in Inventing Anna, the actual lawyer in the show. You heard him playing Todd delivering his opening statement, the cold open there. He's also an Iranian-American, which makes me the happiest little Persian guy in podcast land. You also saw Arian in Spider-Man No Way Home. He's been in a ton of television shows. He's also the co-founder of Waterwell.org, which is a group of artists, educators, and producers dedicated to telling engrossing stories in unexpected ways that deliberately wrestle with complex civic questions. So he's been doing the civic-minded productions for 20 years, before it was cool. Arya Moyad is one of my favorite actors, and the fact that he got to be in a Shonda Rhimes production is so amazing. Let's go to that interview now. Thank you so much for joining us, my my Persian brother, but not really my Persian brother. I have so many wonderful moments that I've seen you on screen and, and in my social media feeds and in my dreams uh, because I wish I had your career sometimes. But it's all it's so good to have you on Fraudsters. For those of you that are out there that don't know Arian, Arian, would you just start off by telling us? Where were you born? I was born in Tehran in 1980. 
uh, in the midst of a revolution and a war. Yeah, I mean, we can go deep into that if you want to go there. If that wants to turn into that direction, we can talk about all that. <laughs> but I'll just that's like a give you just give you a little brief summary there. Well, you know, it's funny because I was in preparation for this interview. Uh, I actually thought it'd be fun to like um, look up James Lipton's inside the actor studio, and he asks everyone at the beginning where they were born. Mm. And knowing that you were born in Iran, I feel like it does create the 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 beginning of the story for you especially being an Iranian actor and then coming over to America here what was that experience like growing up you know wanting to be in the arts and coming from a Persian family was it a supportive environment for you you know it was a survival of the fittest environment to be honest with you we grew we were middle class Iranians um my father worked at the bank of Bankamedli in which is like the main bank of, of Tehran. And when the revolution hit, my dad and my mom kind of knew that the shit was gonna hit the fan. But we weren't of a status to like immediately like jump over the you know ocean and come over here. So when we got here, because I have uh, two older brothers and a sister, when we got here, um, it turned into a little bit of just survival of the fittest, and it was you know, our, the, the, the toman, which is the currency in Iran, all of a sudden went from a lot worth something to like worth nothing overnight. My parents don't speak English. Um, they didn't grab any English classes when they were younger. And my mom had never worked a day in her life outside of being a parent and then came to the States and was like a kind of like a primary breadwinner. Um, and I became the young translator of the household, uh, living in an apartment complex full of other immigrants and black and brown mm. human beings um, in a rich neighborhood. Seriously, we lived in a very rich neighborhood, but literally on the other side of the, of the highway. Um, and we grew up in this immigrant kind of, you know, environment. And that really shaped my life, being an Iranian immigrant and growing up in that, in what was called Salem Walk back then. Um, was truly the reason why all these things happened. And so were they supportive? No, I mean, they weren't unsupportive, but they were scared shitless. I mean, what? whether you're Iranian, black, brown, I mean, every parent's like, you're going to do what now? Um, but it was becoming very apparent to me that I had a knack for it. And that was probably because, you know, I'm a 41-year-old man, thinking and looking at myself as a seven-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old. So I'm just making, you know, I'm just piecing it together. But one of the things that I definitely remember is there was a constant level of like fear and anxiety in the house, new culture, new language. The grocery store was different. I mean, it's just the whole thing. But what was happening was I was, tr I got, I figured out how to make people laugh, I think. And I was like, oh, I'll just do that. And that like, got rid of the tension and that kept on happening and happening. And also, and Sina, maybe you know this as well, and I'm sure many of your viewers know as well, Iranians were watching movies in the 80s from like the 60s and 70s. And so my parents' film vocabulary was like Hitchcock and um, Charlie Chaplin and Lucille Ball. And so now I'm sitting down, <laughs> you know, from the age of seven to like 13, really, watching these movies because the universality of all of these things that I'm talking about was so easy. My parents could easily understand Lucille Ball. They could easily understand a Hitchcock or a Charlie Chaplin movie. And so that was also my education in a weird way. I don't know, again, I'm piecing these things together, but that, that's kind of what, what I think happened. And it's so interesting you say that because uh, I think there's a different immigrant vibe from the Iranians that came pre-revolution or the ones that came post-revolution. Yes. My family did the same as well. I'm the firstborn in America, so I can seek the office of the presidency. I'm proud to say that. There you but, go. Finally. Like, <laughs> We've been exactly. waiting for you, Sina John. Very nice. Here we go, buddy. <laughs> but I too, I too, there was so much anxiety in the house. There was a security thing. My parents always thought I was funny. They loved it when I entertained everyone. My brother was the quiet one. He, of course, became the plastic surgeon. I'm the one that's talking into a microphone all the time. <laughs> and they still don't have any idea. I think it was a few years ago when my mom finally said, she used to just say that I was a clown, which was, uh, you know, frustrating. Yeah. And then she eventually was like, my son is an entertainer. And my brother looked at me. She goes, oh, this is amazing. This is such an upgrade. 
So there is that anxiety. Yeah, Yeah, I really am. So there is this anxiety that I think motivates uh, the, you know, like the Iranian American experience in America here. And I think that's what is so interesting about your work. You know, before we get into inventing Anna, we do have I want to tell this quick story that, you know, Ali Farnakian is the owner of the People's Improv Theater, a mutual friend of ours who I've been hearing about you for years mm. and like the, the great Arian and stuff like that. I was a lowly improviser at the theater there in the in the early and mid aughts, you know, you know, you and the, the Adut brothers and Ali and then a little bit of me made up about 200 percent of the Iranian actors <laughs> in New York at that time. And so. The Ali would kick me a gig every now and then if they needed like a, an Iranian person or someone that, you know, could play Iranian or whatever. And one of these things was was uh, he said, um, hey, there's a little stage show that goes around New York and it's for a really famous book with this great theater. And the lead actor is moving on to a different project. Do you want to go audition? I was like, sure, man, whatever. So I got I got the material, and the book was the Kite Runner. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. And, I knew you were going to say the Kite Runner. <laughs> and it was with Win Hanman, the yeah. Win Hanman, <laughs> and I. Um, Did you do I it? Went Did you end up doing to, it, bro? I went and I auditioned in front of Win Hanman oh. at the America Palace Theater. And he ripped me to shreds. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever bombed an audition. He kept saying over and over, he goes, you're funny, but Aryan can do the child and the adult. You know, oh Aryan oh knows how to do it. He's like, you look a little like Aryan, but you aren't Aryan. You know that? You edited the whole time. But I really realized it. I was like, damn, this Aryan dude is fucking lit, man. He's like all over the place. And so for like weeks later, I was like, guys, I'm the poor man Aryan That's uh, Suit me up. Put, that's suit so, me up. Get me in there. But that, that project was huge. I mean, that's a seminal book. That's a huge book. And I think beyond just... You know, people know you from, you know, Succession and Inventing Anna, but you've been working stage and stuff for 20, 30 years? How long? 20 years, yeah. I mean, I, I moved to the city in 2002 after graduating Indiana University, um, and Tom Ridgely and I co-founded Waterwell, which is a now almost 20 years. Wow. Um, a art and education civic-minded company. And in 2002, saying civic-minded and socially conscious was like, cool but it was also not cool and now all of a sudden yeah. 20 years later we've become like industry leaders the nonprofit waterwell is is 95 percent of what i do with my day the organization is two parts um on the artistic side we pr- perform shows usually in um spaces that the community really wants i'll give you an example we did a show called the courtroom which was a reenactment of a deportation case and we performed it inside of courtrooms all across the city. Um, we did a show called um, Blueprint Specials, which was this old 1940s musical that was commissioned by the War Department. And we performed it on the Intrepid for the first time ever in 72 years uh, with a cast of 30 veterans and 30 Broadway superstars. Uh, all of our shows have access to everyone. Well, our next show, Seven Minutes, which comes out in a couple of weeks, we have a sliding scale. You can pay $1 or you can pay the top ticket price, $85. And then outside it, on the, also what Waterwell does is we go inside the communities of what we are trying to talk to and have their input and invite them. So oftentimes we don't even need the theater audiences to come. We have the community members. Our next show is Seven Minutes, um, which is about 11 female textile workers deciding whether or not to reduce their lunchtime from 15 minutes to seven minutes to save their jobs. We're inviting union organizers and we are filling up the houses with those folks. And all of our shows are not polemic. They don't like knock you over the head and be like, this guy's bad and this guy's good. It's a lot messier than that. Um, And we've been doing that for 20 years, believe it or not. And so that's on the artistic side. And we also run, um, we're a major vendor of the Department of Education. And we run a school in Midtown Manhattan called the Professional Performing Arts School. And we run the entirety of the drama section with we have 220 students and about 12 faculty members. We do nine shows a year. Um, We have over 2,000 alumni, some of which are starring in Black Panther 2 and some of which are working in the mayor's office of environmental affairs. And what we teach them at the school is not just to be a great artist, but how to what we call the artist as citizen. Use your art to better society through your own communities, whether your community is 
you know, a Muslim community or a Jewish community or AA or whatever your community is, really try to impact the people around you with art. And so that's been, we've been running that for almost a dozen years. So that's what I actually do. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and my side hustle is an actor, m mostly because, you know, at a very young age, Waterwell, I got an opportunity to get signed by some very fancy people at the age of 25. Um, and those, and they, I walked into that room signed by like some major superstars. And at 2005, I said, I'm not doing terrorist roles. I'm not doing victim roles. And they were like, fine. And I ended up doing a lot of theater because there was no roles, um, as you know, you know. <laughs> and every community that's marginalized or otherwise knows. Like, yeah. the gay community was thrown nothing. And the Latino community was thrown. I mean, like, we're thrown nothing. And, and so when you say no to that for a while and you just stick to the theater, um, what really happens is the theater was really more interested in depth um, and trying to find, you know, nuance. And that ended up me having the distinct privilege of being on Broadway um, in the Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, uh, opposite the great Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yeah. And um, that opportunity really opened up a thing for me that said, oh, my career is my career. I should pick my decisions. The, then, you know, people are working for me. And whether I become rich or poor, it doesn't really matter. And I want to say before succession and inventing Anna, poor was really what was happening. <laughs> but 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 I was fulfilled and I had the respect of the industry. Yeah. Um, even when they sent me auditions for whatever show it was to play whatever terrorist it was, not only would I say no to the audition, but you would get an explanation from me in a very cordial kind of understanding and rational way of being like, you are representing a 0.0001% of our society. Mm. And as if this is fact. And, and those conversations, sometimes they, you get a big old fuck you and don't ever call me again um, and are blacklist. And some people respect it, you know. So I don't know. I give you a long answer. Did you say at the end of those emails, uh, Cena's available though for any of those? <laughs> I did. Did you, uh, is that how Cena's I got these? Email. <laughs> Just check out Cena's email. Yeah, you know, it's so funny that you say it like that because there would be times, I'm being just honest with you, just there would be times I have two kids, my wife, we have no funds, and I and an opportunity comes and it's a pass, and it's sometimes I wished. And I don't even care that other people do these. Like, I wish I didn't care as much. But because yeah. of the Iranian, because of the hustle of watching my parents struggle, I just was like, uh, I don't know. If, uh, I, I don't know. It just, it just felt icky for me. But I, I, I want to be blunt. Like, there are times where I'm kind of like, why didn't I say yes? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now here we are. What do you think is worse? The fact that, like, getting pigeonholed, uh, as someone from Iran into those kind of roles, or when you watch uh, like like a dark skinned Maori person uh, get like cast in those roles, there's just like four guys from New Zealand that play every race. <laughs> they're like they're always like Mexican <laughs> gang members and like all in these. The uh, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> there's a I'm gonna call out Asif Mambi. There would be an Iranian yeah. role. There would be an Iranian oh, role, God. and we're like, this is fucking Asif. He's Indian for those. <laughs> I think both are just, you know, whatever. <laughs> they're both, yeah. They're both just, listen, in the, it, there's a moment in time where uh, someone that is, you know, a Mexican actor that's trying to put ends together gets a part as an Iranian. I get, I, you know, we've, we've all been struggling towards that. But overall, I hope that those days have changed. And I, overall, I also hope that, that we also, I, you know, to me, Justin, so much of it is about who has the, who's holding the purse strings. Mm -hmm. To me, I don't really, I'm, I hope this doesn't sound the wrong way. I think it's important that, you know, Iranians and others get these opportunities to be in front of the camera so that people can like normalize it in their minds so we don't seem like whatever they seem like to them. Um, but overall, I'm also interested in that we are the executive positions. Mm -hmm. that, so we can be like, I don't have to worry about that because I'm going to tell the decisions and the stories with the Iranian community or the black community or whatever community because I know this thing, you know. Um, Charles King, who runs Ma um, Macro, I mean, he's telling amazing stories about black society, you know, because he's a black man. 
Do you know what I mean? And he's an executive and he pulls the purse strings, you know? And that's, that's a place where I, I, I really, I, I don't know. Not you know, maybe for myself, but I really think that is where I, I want us to be seen. Because the moment that you're in that decision-making room and an Iranian person says, actually, none of that is real and you need to scrap all of that, it's never going to get to actors. Not a single Iranian was involved in the making of the Prince of Persia movie. <laughs> I can assure you, yes. they, no one called us. No one called <laughs> no, us, Ariane. The closest no one, one here's how sad it is, the closest one, Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> <laughs> More Prince of Persia jokes and inventing Anna right after this short ad break. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, so let's get to inventing Anna. Now, last season, we interviewed Todd Spodek, uh, the lawyer for Anna Sorokin. And then here the show comes up, and I hear the casting, and it's you playing Todd, and my head explodes. But just to begin with, you've acted in every role you could imagine. When you are preparing for a role that's based on a real person, Mm. what is your approach to that as opposed to a completely fictionalized one? Very good question. I, I've, I've, I've never really played a real person outside of maybe like Rosewater where that was based on a real person. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of this engine is the Shonda Rhimes engine, you know? And so, you know, I'll, I'll give you a specific, very fun story. Immediately when I got cast, I called her up and I said, am I shaving my head? <laughs> and in my mind, because yeah. in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to look like this dude. And she's and the the response, the disgust in their voice, like shave your head. 
why the hell would we shave your... Which, A, gives you an idea of what we were getting into. And also, it's a composite. Mm. The character, you know, the personal story is so, you know, made from from Shonda's mind and and whatnot. Um, What happened with this thing is, and again, and I'm not just saying this because you guys are here, but, like, it again goes back to Waterwell, is I just adapted or, or edited all of these transcripts for this show called The Courtroom. Mm-hmm. So all I work with was transcripts. And I didn't change a single word. And when I got cast, and I kind of didn't know how to get into this character, I read these, I just stumbled upon the research passage of the transcripts, and I was reading them, and I was understanding when he objects. I was understanding when he's charming the room or making a joke. Do you know what I mean? I'm understanding when he's interrupting, so I can get a sense of who this guy was just from those transcripts. And then Shonda said, which I love because I love messiness in characters, is, you know, he's a really good guy. And I, because you think of criminal defense attorney and you have a hat that you're putting on, which is like, oh, he's a scum or slimy, whatever the thing is. And a good guy is really kind of fun with it when it comes to a character like, um, to represent someone like Anna uh, Sorokin. So those are the kind of the things that kind of latched onto and really understanding that he is going on the same hustle that she is. Mm. He is trying to make a name for himself. I mean, what's kind of miraculous without spoiling anything for those that haven't seen the show, but in that last episode, there's this huge like jail scene that people like talk about all the time with myself as Todd and, and Julia as, as Anna. And we're just like going at each other's throats. Like it is like a brawl. First of all, taking the stand would be legal oh, suicide. Yeah, Open you up to questions you don't want to answer. Oh, fuck off. Go find a stalker in there. Questions that make you look even more like a greedy, lying, yeah. sad sack scammer with uh-huh. a creepy fucking accent. But that's not why you're not taking the stand. You're not taking the stand because taking the stand is my fucking decision, not yours. But we're saying the same things. We're saying the exact same things. She's like, you've ruined, she says, you've ruined my reputation. And I say, your reputation, fuck your reputation. This is my reputation. And it's because these people are trying to be seen Mm. and be heard. And we all can relate to that in a way, Um, especially in this society that we live in right now. So anyway, those are the things I kind of latched onto. And that's, yeah. Did you get to meet him and talk to him? No, it's so funny. Julia got to meet uh, Anna in jail, but I got cast and I just went off and running and I didn't get a chance to meet him. And after a while, I wasn't even trying to do him. You know, he's like a very Brooklyn boy. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't even trying to go there. And Shonda didn't want to go there. She made him like Long Island. And then all of a sudden, maybe like a, this is March of 2020. And We shot all of episode nine, 70% of episode nine, right before the pandemic. And it's then for those that don't know, the last episode, it's like basically Todd's episode. And it's like opening monologue, closing monologue. And everything has to be like pitch perfect in the text. Like Shonda's like, give it to me as I wrote it. And she's right. And so I'm like concentrating. Someone comes up and is like, would you mind if Todd's boat comes next week uh, on Thursday? And I was like, sure. Yeah, whatever. And so that Thursday is happening. And it's a big day where I'm interrogating Rachel Williams on the stand. And all of a sudden, they're like, Todd's here. And I said, Todd who? <laughs> they're, like, they're like, Todd Spodick. I'm like, Todd Spodick? It's like, yeah, I'm like, now? It's like, yeah, I was like, today? And so then while I'm, if you ever were to see the sh- show and ever to see that again, some of the scenes where it's on Rachel um, and the cameras are pointing towards Rachel, Todd is sitting in the pews behind me. <laughs> and I went up to him, I was like, dude, today is the day that you come? You can't come a day where like I'm like walking up the stairs or something today, <laughs> the, the most crucial day. And yeah, we just chatted and 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 yeah, it's it, it's. I really tried to get and you know it's funny people that really knew Todd Pryor and on Shondaland's team were like, oh, you really have a great sense of who this guy is. You feel like his energy, which is so weird because I've never met him before, but because I understood how he was in those rooms. I could see, I can feel an energy of like, I got this. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like I have a command of a space and that's um, 
kind of what happened. Let me set the record straight and spill a little bit of a tea here because Emily Palmer, a New York Times reporter that's that's written a ton on, on yeah. the show mm-hmm. and, and on Anna in general, also spoke with Todd, how he even got in touch with Todd. She says that Todd thinks that you couldn't do a Brooklyn accent, which is why they made you from Long Island. And I was like, I can assure you, I'm pretty sure Ariana no. can pull off a Brooklyn it was, accent. It was always, it was always 100% Long Island. What do you think no, that change was, was? Why did they make him from Brooklyn to Long Island? What do you, what was the, in the character do you think that made that? I really don't, I don't really know the specificity of that, yeah. Sina, to be honest with you. I think maybe because it, in a way, maybe I don't, you would have to ask Shonda that. Yeah. I'll, Let me call I'll, her. I'll assure you, it was. <laughs> yeah, just give her a chit chat. I, I can assure you yeah. immediately when it said from Long Island, I'm 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 pretty positive that I even went up to. Her. I was like, oh, why don't we make him from Brooklyn or something? But I, I just there was no interest in that. They just yeah. made it from Long Island. I love that he thinks Todd. Call me. <laughs> call me. You want to hear my fucking? Yeah. <laughs> It also it also doesn't make sense. If there was concerns about your capabilities, uh, they wouldn't go like Brooklyn to Long Island. They would make you from Wisconsin or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. Yeah, I think maybe it's just I don't know some sort of universality of it. I'm not really what does sure. a Shonda Rhimes set feel like? I mean, she is the her her shows are bigger than life. I mean, she is like a, a staple. She is legend now in the business just by virtue of the amount of work that she's been able to produce and how successful everything is. Is it different than other sets you've been on, being on a Shonda set? I'm just going to speak bluntly. First of all, there's just, you know that they have money. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, you guys got money. <laughs> the, the snacks are on point. <laughs> Let me tell you this. They flew me out, this is pre-pandemic, to go to L.A. to do a costume fitting in which I walked into a room, I have the video, where there is 500 suits. <laughs> and I was like, what is, what's that, what, why, why are there, it's like, well, we have like every suit and we, but because every size is different, we got like four of the each suit. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I mean, you're kind of like, you don't have tailor, there's no tailors here. Um, yeah, it's just, they throw money at it, you know? Um, you know, even with Todd, like in the show, the Todd Spodick is so rich. You know what I mean? His wife is very, very wealthy. So the clothes that he wears are like top tier tuxedos and cl- you know what I mean? And so even in that re- level, Shonda is giving us access to this kind of like wealth that um, that I don't think even the real Todd kind of like could even imagine in a way. Well, maybe he can't imagine, but it, it, it just so there's so much money being thrown at this thing. That's one. And the other thing is and 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 maybe this doesn't answer your question about the set, Cena, but it understands it. Uh, but 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 I think of all of Succession and uh, and Shonda and and Spider Man too. I think of those things as writers and artist pieces. And I will tell you, the Shonda set. I knew every step of the way that she's going to make something that everyone's going to watch and like. Mm. And I think that is a rarity. That is, you know, just when you're like, when is someone going to tell this girl off? Boom. Someone tells her off. When are we going to see it get really, really wealthy porn thing? And all of a sudden we're in Morocco. When are, you know what I mean? Like, just like every step of the way, just when you want something, Shonda hands it to you and says, I know what you want and here's what it is. And that's a skill that's really, really correct. And that's a weird thing to say about an artist, but that it's something that I did not feel like as when, as I wear many hats as a producer and a writer and director, that I had to do anything but act the words. And the other thing I just want to say is, is that she, when she said early on in our first table read, which was fancy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like everything was like fancy. Um, at our first table read, she's like, I want it word perfect. To me, as someone that's done Shakespeare, there is a specific need for that. And I have to make the choices work. Mm-hmm. I have to make my choices work around the text instead of me trying to change some text to make it work around, you know what I mean? So so um, again, I'm gonna go back to that prison scene where, where we're like blowing up at each other. One of the lines that was written is, and I think it was kind of sent as like a rhetorical line is like, um, do you believe in your lies? Do you, are they for me or for you? And I think it was meant as like a little bit of a list. And, it, and it didn't feel right to me, but these are the words as written and who am I gonna go against Shonda Rhimes? So instead of making that rhetorical, I finally asked 
The question that I think everyone wants to know is, Anna, do you believe your lies? Like, period. Like, answer that. Do you believe your lies? Are they for me or for you? And that's a version of what I think it means to be on Shonda's set, that like, she wants it pitch perfect, great, you're the superstar. I have to make my choices work on these words. And that's not always the case, you know? Um, in, in other shows like Succession, for, for example, because of the mere fact of the way that we shoot and long scenes and we shoot on film and it's long takes and, and, and there's 25 people in a room shooting one scene, do you know what I mean? That sometimes all of a sudden the paper falls and this falls and you just, there's no cut. You just have to keep going. So there is a level of being that's necessary, that's different than on a Shonda set. So, you know, it's it's adapting to the writer, really. And, you know, we were very privileged. I mean, right after the pandemic, we were, I think, the first show for Netflix back in New York City. And the amount of, e, uh, the amount of like, you know, we all know now, but at that time, the amount of care that they put in to making sure that that was a safe set was kind of astonishing. Money, yo. Money. <laughs> She's got money. Yeah. So she doesn't like anything being changed in her scripts. So you're just telling us there's no chance we're going to see Tracy Morgan starring in a Shonda Rhimes production. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. <laughs> but I don't think so. Though Tracy Morgan's amazing. Inventing Anna, number one on Netflix. I don't know if it still is now. It, it was at least for several weeks since it came out. On the little thumbnail on my Netflix, it was number one. Besides Shonda being like a big tent attraction for any show that she does, what is it about these types of stories, these kinds of fraudster stories or these con artist stories or just these kind of like wealthy criminal-esque white-collar crime mm. stories that you think make us so attracted to them? It's a good question. I think this is also about succession too, in a way. Yeah. There's a devil and, a, and an angel on our shoulders. You know what I mean? Every day. And every day we have choice. And every day the choice is usually the angel. Usually it's like morality and the right thing to do. And I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to steal that. But in these scenarios, what happens if the devil on the shoulder is the one that's pulling all the strings? And I think we want to see that. <laughs> I think we want to see. I think we're excited about that. I think for us, maybe it's because the three of us have been all probably marginalized in some sort of way. We want to see people fucking get away with it sometimes. <laughs> and, and love or hate Anna, um, one thing about Anna that is really bold is that she played the game, lied a lot, but she played the game and... And played the game like a lot of people play the game, especially in Hollyland. Like the amount of people that go into a room and say, I have a new script and, you know, Ben Stiller is attached and da 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 da. And ben Stiller doesn't even know about it. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they all, you know what I mean? Like da 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 da. The amount of times that's happened. Oh, yeah, buddy. I've attached you to so many projects. You don't even know. I, you don't even know, my man. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to. I was getting like. Um, Prince of anyway. Persia number two. Here we go. Aria. Here we go, baby. <laughs> So in a way, like her kind of playing that game and getting away with it is really kind of exciting and fun. I mean, I don't, I, I think we live in a world right now where the exterior is more kind of um, shown and cared about than the interior. Do you know what I mean? All we do every day is we're on our Instagram feed, putting a fake version of ourselves out into the world as if it's like truth. As if, like, I'm the happiest person in the world and I'm the coolest. And we're all insecure and dying, dying inside slowly. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? And so all of a sudden you have someone like an Anna Delvey. It's like, no, my exterior is my exterior and fuck you and I don't give a shit and you don't like it. Get the fuck out of here. And it's like, okay, amazing. You know, uh, my kids, I have a 13-year-old and 11, uh, two daughters, 13 and 11, they love Anna Delvey. They love her. They love everything about her. They love her. And they, they obviously know about the lying and the, you know, all, all that stuff they hate. But in the fact that, like, that she got these amazing people to come and amazingly almost get that Soho House new place called the ADF, like, that's ballsy. And that takes, you know, and I'm telling you, now I walk down New York and you look at clubs and you look at bars and you're like, how many people cheated their way to get this thing? 
Do you know what I mean? So, do you think her crimes are victim? Like Anna does not believe what she did was a was a crime. I mean, she's pretty pretty clear. Yeah, she's like, I wish I would have done it a different way, which basically is code for I wish I didn't get caught. And so, it's like, do you think it's victimless? I think she is a criminal. Yeah, I think that when you steal money or jets or fraudulently put yourself out there for whatever, if it was a mistake or not, I mean, that's illegal. You know what I mean? Um, I believe in the law and, and extremist and so, views from Marianne Moyet. Yeah, exactly. You know, Jessica Pressler, the, 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 the amazing writer that broke the story on, on her, um, for the cut, you know, when we were, when we, when I first met her, she said something that's really kind of interesting. She's like, kind of feel like a lot of people wish she just got away with it. Yeah. That like, I wish they just kind of wish that she had that Soho house. And the other thing that's, I know this sounds like it's wrong and whatnot, and I think that's why it makes it messy and fun, is like the Theranos lady took your blood. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's trying to build some sort of club. Like it's an elitist kind of like maybe gross kind of like bullshit club. But so there's like v variations of all that that I think everyone kind of like wants to like dissect. But overall, she did crimes and she got charged for those crimes. Uh, I think did they throw the, you know, I don't know, in... This is a true story. Two weeks before I even read the script, I just did 12 days of grand jury duty. Mm. And That's the intense. number one thing I learned from that, which is why I think they say everyone should do jury duty. The number one thing I learned from that was that we overcharge people, mm -hmm. especially black and brown people. Overcharge. And there was a scene in Inventing Anna in the pilot episode, which got cut, um, which is me asking ADA McCaw, played by the amazing Rebecca Henderson. I was like, do we need to charge her on all, I think it was 12. Do we need to charge her on all 12 of these things? Like, can we just like reduce some of these charges? She's like, no. I was like, but you know what? The, 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 the years will be the same either way. Like, can you, can you go down to not, why are you doubly charging her for this thing? It's like, no, we're not doing that because she, he, she frauded. And you know, there's a, there's a version of our law that, overcharges because there is there is benefit for a lot of people to have a bunch of charges that are guilty mm -hmm. and that is fucked you know that is fucked you know when i was doing grand jury duty the amount of times that we find a 17 year old boy from whatever neighborhood you know stealing a pair of airpods from a street vendor getting caught and turning around with a pencil in their hand well now all of a sudden just because you turned around with a pencil or keys that is now a weapon. So now it's assault. Mm -hmm. So now you have first degree, second degree, third degree, assault and battery. It's like it's made to throw people in jail, you know? Um, so in a way, that I think is bullshit, you know, that there were so many charges against her on those things. So it's complicated. But she definitely, I don't think it's victimless. I also think that, like, if someone took $62,000 from me, from my credit card, I, I don't know. I would be very upset. <laughs> and I would definitely be calling the cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say, even though, like, let's say that she does complete the Soho house, I, I wouldn't want to be one of the painters that left my stuff in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, know exactly you know, what you mean. We struggled, actually, last season when we did the episode. We, like, got to the end of our two episodes, and our producer, Hazel, came on, and she was just like, you guys know that she's a fraudster, right? Like, you guys didn't really go at her at all. Because we were, you know, they're rich people. They're yeah. really wealthy people that she defarted. So they're like the the least sympathetic group of people that she kind of pulled one over on. And our show's all about the victims. And we really want to talk about the victims and what that experience is like and what motivated someone to do something nasty to these victims. And vi victims in any type of fraud are vulnerable people. And these people were vulnerable, but you're also like, ah. And then we ended up making fun of Rachel a lot in the, in the show. And I think Shonda was right with our vibe with that as well, especially in casting Katie Lowe's as, 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 um, as Rachel too. You know, she made Rachel the, the queen of missteps in that show. Was that something that came up in your production yeah. or yeah, I, this I don't is the think, comedy you know, of that character? I think that Rachel, I think what's cool about what Shonda did in that is that at the end of the day, Rachel whether you forget whether you agree or disagree or th at the end of the day, Rachel took out her credit card and handed it to somebody. <laughs> and that is legally 
on a legal level, yeah. that is that. That's like, it. <laughs> whether you were per- pushed into it or not, that's what the law is. And so, so there is some nuance there. And I also feel like, you know, I can think of all the different scenarios. I felt I feel bad for Rachel. Like three months at your job with a sixty-two thousand dollar bill. Like I would be crawling into a hole. And in my mind, I'm like, why are you? Why did it take three months for you to go to the cops? <laughs> right. But on the opposite level, I'm also like, did you really not pay for two years of stuff? <laughs> like I don't. Do you know what I mean? Like I. Again, maybe it's the Iranian in me. Like that would not happen. No. I would not go around being like, no, no, you pay for this. Yee. Like I was out with an Iranian and a Palestinian last night and we were hug, like pulling and shrugging, trying to, who's going to pay? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you pay, no, I'm paying, <laughs> you know? You know, and Iranians do that and Tina can tell you like all the time. So who does two years of getting free shit? Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's something weird about that the, the number so, of 12 dollar venmos that i've sent around yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> can't, can't exactly. have that on my shoulders yeah exactly so there is i think in a way there is all of that is put in there and the facts of the matter is rachel williams was not guilty yeah that those charges she was she was not charged on yeah which we all laughed very hard about yeah <laughs> which is like it didn't work like <laughs> Whatever Todd did or whatever was in that room, they didn't buy it. They didn't buy it. Um, So I think the messiness of all that, you know, to me, so much of the show is about the fraudster element of it. And so much of it is about succeeding in this social media world. Mm -hmm. And Rachel making the book, Anna Delvey having her own TV show. I mean, like, Todd Spodick, you know, being put out there and having bigger cases, you know, um, Vivian or Jessica Pressler having more and more article. You know what I mean? It's about it's about putting yourself out there and making sure that you're seen. And so I think everyone's kind of kind of won on this story, (laughs) to be honest with you. I think, you know, on the first table read, I remember distinctly actually Katie was sitting next to me being like, well, Anna Delvey won all of this Mm -hmm. like she won the whole thing and anna delvey predicted that i'd be talking to you about her six years yeah and it's true she predicted this she 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 knew that this was going to happen that's crazy this is the most traumatic thing that i have ever been through i understand all that but this traumatic experience that you went through you sold to three separate people right (laughs) i wish i never met anna I wouldn't wish this on anybody. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Two years after arriving to this city to make it as a writer, you've published an article in Vanity Fair. You have over $600,000 in book and TV deals coming your way, all because you found and befriended and turned Anna into the police. If this is the worst thing to ever happen to you, we should all be so lucky. Objection. Withdrawn. No further questions, Your Honor. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Succession. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. 
Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at njm.com. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Brabble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want to talk a little bit about Succession because, as you mentioned earlier, it is, you know, very similar and, you know, there's a lot of fraudsters in Succession. And I think, like, you know, everything you've, you've, you've shown us here on this show is that you're a very sweet man. You're a loving father. You're, you're a trained actor. How do you play such shitty people? <laughs> I mean, Todd Spodek's the sweetest man if you compare him and Stewie on Succession. Todd Spodek is like an yeah. angel comparatively yeah. to Stewie. How? What is that like to kind of like go in and you're like, I'm going to play? I mean, at least Stewie is almost like the most honest uh, fraudster on that show, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, for me, I, I have one little hat for Stewie. You know, he is not going to lie to you. Yeah. Where yeah. everyone on that show is lying to you about some <laughs> bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to lie. He's not going to lie to you. And and that's what I hang my hat on. Um, yeah, in that one, the devil is speaking at all truths all the time and not really giving a shit about anything else. You know, in the end of season two, when they're in that Croatian island or whatever, and he, and he basically says, listen, I'm going to make a little bit more money, just like a tiny bit more than you are. <laughs> And that's the game. Like, <laughs> until you guys make a little bit more money on your side, then I'll go on your side. <laughs> but until that moment, this is the side that's winning here. Um, and so, and so, I latch onto that. And I also feel that uh, some people agree with me, some people disagree. It doesn't really matter. I know what I'm doing. And again, what I love about Succession is you guys are putting your DNA on us as if it's fact. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you put your DNA on these people, on all of us, as if like, that's why you hear people be like, the only character I love is uh, Tom Wamsgans. And then the next moment you're like, that, I want to punch Tom Wamsgans (laughs) in the face. He grosses me out. Do you know what I mean? I love Roman more than anyone else. Roman is a piece of shit asshole fucker (laughs) that deserves everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you guys are putting your DNA on us. And for me, and what I was getting to is that I think Stewie has known Kendall for a long time. Stewie and Kendall were drunk high school, 16-year-olds at boarding school talking about running the entirety of the world together. They almost did. <laughs> you know, I always think about that bear hug. If it went through, mm. there would be books written on them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the shit that we dreamed about when we were 17 and we tasted it. And then all of a sudden he's like, my dad's version is better or whatever. The hell he said. <laughs> and Stewie's like, well, then get ready, motherfucker. <laughs> you find the show funny, right? Yes. OK, good. I've read reports that some of the mm. cast members don't actually think it's a comedy. Oh, I think it's hilarious. It's good. I, I don't think we think of it. I mean, I know that some people say that. To me, I think it's a comedy and a drama. Like, yeah. I don't think it fits. A, I don't think it's a genre that we've seen. That's what I think. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's like, it's hilarious. And I think it's a drama. And I think it's weird that they both collide in this office and Sopranos wife. I think that's the truth. And I don't, I don't think it's, I think there's moments of pure comedic genius. <laughs> uh, and there's moments of, you know, <laughs> complete 
you know, dramatic genius. Yeah, that's what I was going to compare it to. The, the Sopranos has some of the best humor in it in like <laughs> yeah. the most dark context. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think Sopranos is wildly fun. But in a way, what's I think, again, Sopranos is such a good example because it's so funny, that show, and the characters are so funny. Um, but obviously, we don't think of that as a comedy. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I do, I do know that people watch Succession and they're like, I only see The Office. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, no. That's that's a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Weird. I don't either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So like, It's not you wacky. Know, it's not wacky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we do have, you know, one of my lines is, shove your, cut my dick off and put it up your cunt, like poo-poo coming out of a nose hole. Like I'm saying weird <laughs> things, but we have to make it, remember that? Like I'm like, yeah. poo-poo up your nose holes and dicks in the bag golf bags i don't know what i'm saying and in a way it's kind of wacky i mean you you need to fucking make it work okay or i will i will personally fucking destroy you Ken, i will come to you at night with a fucking razor a, blade yeah. and i will cut your fucking, fucking dick, dick off, off and, I will feed and it then push it up your cunt until poo poo pops out of my nose hole dude it doesn't matter it doesn't mean anything you can threaten to stuff a million severed dicks into my ball bag, but the actual fact is we're persuading more and more shareholders every day that we offer them just a slightly better chance. You know, the line is kind of wacky, but it's also played real. It feels genre, I don't know, something else, bending. Nobody ever says on those shit, like on that show, like, uh, you know, my business deal is going to be better than your business deal. It's always like, <laughs> your kids are going to beg me for mercy as I kill them. And so, yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> That's exactly right. Are you a writer for our show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Ariane, before you go, uh, big question. Mm. Um, you know, kind of two maybe. It, it's Have you ever been a victim of a fraud? And is there a scam that has maybe upset you if you haven't been a victim of a fraud? That's so funny. I have not been a victim of a fraud. Have I? I know. I, it's the, all I'm thinking about is a friend of mine who was a, a victim of a fraud um, that lasted like like a week in which at the end of it, he like put like $2,000 of cash down from someone he just met. And then the moment that that person left the room, he was like, oh, I think I just got, you know, um, I think, I think I have met fraudulent people that oh, are trying to In the to entertainment sell. business? What? I don't know if you can imagine this. <laughs> no, surely not. There's a couple of people that are a little <laughs> bit not truthful. There are really some, you know, people out there that kind of like push, you know, the, 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 that themselves over the art. I'm tired of that. You mm. know, I'm really, really exhausted by that. Um, I do want to say that it's less and less for me these days, just because I feel my reputation, you know, doesn't want to deal with those things, but man, going through the world and meeting people and saying this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is going to happen and all of a sudden the next day you know someone else gets cast and it's completely not what you thought it was going to be um i think those days aren't over yeah <laughs> i think that we are living in a society where i think people are always interested in me um against them instead of being like me and them mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah and i'm just kind of like tired of that i think we all are yeah, i agree all right, and Waterwell, where can people find uh, the site? And what are there, there shows? It's a New York-based thing, right? Or is it across yeah, the Yeah, right now we're doing a show called Seven Minutes, which I talked about earlier, um, March 17th through April 17th. That is going to be at the Here Arts Center, waterwell.org. Go to waterwell.org, read up on our mission, read up on the shows that we do, read up on our students and what we're doing at the Professional Performing Arts School. Uh, donate if you can. We're always needing your help. Um, yeah, it's 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 the thing that I care about the most. It's the thing that makes me feel normal. I still teach. You know, I teach every year for almost 15 years now. Um, high school seniors in a public school for one oh, semester. Yeah. Um, and, and the reward that I get from that is way outweighs acting accolades. Um, because... It, do, it makes all that other stuff feel like a side hustle, mm. which makes me do that work more intensely. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't have to worry about the bullshit ego portion of it. Listen, we all have ego. I have tons of ego. Um, but, but I don't have to worry about the things that I used to worry about anymore because it doesn't matter. 
Mm. It just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you know, Succession's amazing. Inventing Anna's amazing. I love being in these things. I'm honestly blessed. Is what we say. Like, thank God, you know, really. Um, but at the end of the day, in 10 or 15 years, no one's going to, you know, there are millions of people that have not seen Sopranos. Yeah. Which is crazy, but it's true. <laughs> there are millions of people. The vast majority of people that we know have not seen The Wire. Yeah. Or The Leftovers. You know what I mean? Like... And then one day in 10, 15 years, the vast majority of people have not have seen succession. Yeah. That's just the truth. And so I, I think of it in those kind of terms, like the, the here and now of it is a little bit more, it's more present for me because of the teaching and the nonprofit. I mean that. Ariane, thank you so much. This is Chega Khoshamedi. I mean, I'm just, oh, it's like, this has been such a, an amazing moment. Uh, Justin and I are so happy that you could, Join us here. I can't wait to tell my mother that I got to interview her. Oh, it should be so happy. <laughs> thank you so Please much. Please say hello from me. Yeah, thank you. You can check out Seven Minutes, uh, the newest production from Waterwell. It's premiering March 17th to April 10th at 145 6th Avenue in Manhattan. Uh, you pay a sliding scale, so you can pay what you think should uh, is appropriate. Uh, it's based on actual events, and it depicts an urgent meeting of the 11 women and gender nonconforming folks elected to the Union Council of their rural Connecticut textile factory. Changes at the factory seem inevitable when new owners take over, giving the council only 90 minutes to vote on a decision with serious consequences for everyone at the factory. Tempers flare and anxieties boil over as individual needs, perspectives, and suspicions vie for positions while the clock runs out. Uh, So be sure to check out Seven Minutes. Be sure to check out Inventing Anna. Of course, we're going to be watching Succession. We'll always be following Arion. And when there's a Prince of Persia 2, we'll be sure to watch that when Arion is the Prince of Persia. Justin, what'd you think of that interview? I loved it, man. He's a cool guy. He's funny. He's got a sense of humor. I also like Succession a lot, too. So it's really cool. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kind of part of me was like, I could just talk to him about succession this whole time, but this show is called Fraudsters. But we appreciate all the time that he had. Most people, when they get big, they start doing something like Waterwell once they hit it, right? Once they make their bank, once they get the big show or something like that. Aryan's been doing Waterwell way before then. That has been his bread and butter. That's been like the civic minded kind of production, has been what he's been into for a long time. So. Mad respect to him for doing something like that. I think that that takes a lot. It's cool to hear about the plight of Persian actors because I'm tired of going to these auditions and they're saying, do it like Denzel. And I go, I can't do it like Denzel. <laughs> you know, he said he said no to all these terrorist roles and stuff like that, but I, I, I didn't get a chance to say the only terrorist role I ever wanted to play was the guy from True Lies. I think oh, yeah. he was the best terrorist that's ever been done. <laughs> He got shot off a missile, and then Arnold said, you're fired. (laughs) Exactly. You can't beat that guy. That is the best. That's the pinnacle of terrorist guys that uh, that has ever been in movies. Everything after that. I did also have, like, I had that acting experience where I went on a couple Law & Order auditions. And one in particular, I was like, okay, so... So I've been taken hostage, okay? And then they're like, yeah, you. it's the beginning of the show. This is where the murder happens. Oh, it's like, oh, I'm getting killed. They're like, yes, your head's going to get decapitated by this terrorist group on camera. And I was like, okay. They're like, just sit in this chair, and I need you to beg for your life and start crying. And I <laughs> started laughing. And then I was like, okay, okay, I got this, I got this. And then obviously didn't get that audition. So <laughs> didn't get that part. There's a guy I know, uh, there's a comedian I know, his name is Mick DeFlo. I think he's been three different yeah. dead bodies on Law and Order. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that is the one we're gonna have of uh, living in New York and never getting on Law and Order. That's that's the something. I may have to come back when I'm older, get me a part on Law and Order. That show's never going off the air. Big shout out to Ice T and the SVU crew. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. So happy we got to. Dive into this Inventing Anna show next week. Uh, we'll be on to a different topic or maybe a little a little revisiting of something else. As always, at Cena Now on social media, at Justin Williams Comedy, uh, fraudstersLPN at gmail.com, 412-285-1255. 
Fraudsters is a production of Zero Cool Media and The Last Podcast Network. Hazel Bryan produced this episode. Ian Brannon edited it. Our associate producer is Anna Laranaga. Emily Fusco is our researcher. Our legal intern is Greg Fingerhut. Our theme music is by Simon Tafik. And some music in this episode was composed by Chris Olson. Thanks so much to Ariane, and we'll see you next time. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.